Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 71. My heart slammed against my ribs. This could not be. Could not. Could not. I ran to her cell and pressed against the bars, straining to distinguish her features amidst the shadows. Nothing could have ever prepared me for what I saw. Not the sight of Nico plunging from my grasp, or poor Robert gazing at his own body as it was hacked in two. Not even the Turk looming over me, his blade raised in the air. I was staring at my wife. Sophie? I whispered, the word catching in my throat. She did not move or speak. Sophie! I called, feeling my heart start to crumble. Part of me prayed she will not turn. Then, she tilted her face towards me. Sophie, is that you? She lay huddled in shadow, and I still could not tell for certain if it were her. The scant light from a nearby torch traced her bony face. Her hair, which once had smelled like honey, hung wildly from her head, pulled out in spots and white. Her sunken eyes, glazed and distant, were runny with yellow pus. Yet the nose... The soft line of her chin as it met her delicate neck. They were the same, unmistakably, though she cowered before me as a fevered wretch, pocked with sores. It was her. I was sure of it. Sophie? I cried, my hands reaching desperately through the bars. She finally turned towards the sound, solid light spreading across her face. I simply could not believe what I was seeing. How could she be here? How could she be alive after all this time? Grateful tears welled in my eyes. I reached for her, her emaciated bones covered in a filthy rag. I tried to speak, but I was too overcome. It was Sophie. She was not dead. At least, at last I knew that much for sure. Sophie, look, it's me, Hugh. Slowly she lifted her face fully into the light. She was like an artist's disfigured recreation of the beautiful image I held in my mind. Gaunt, ghostly, covered in sores. Her eyes flickered at the sound of my voice. I could see that she was sick, that she barely clung to this rotting existence. I wasn't sure she knew who I was. We have to give it back to them, she finally said. Please, I beg you, give them back what's theirs. Sophie, I was shouting now. Look! I'm here, Hugh. What had they done to her? Anger surged through me. I could see her suffering and I felt it too. You're alive, sweet God, you're alive. Tears streamed down my face. Hugh? She blinked. Then she almost seemed to smile. Hugh will be back. He's in the east, fighting. But I'll see him again, my baby. He promised. No, I'm here, Sophie. My fingers grasped at air, trying to reach her face. Please, come close. Let me hold you. Oh, God, let me hold you, Sophie. He'll be sad about the end, she continued to mutter, but he'll forgive me. You'll see. You'll see. I'm going to get you out of here. I know about Philippe. Yeah, I decided to call him Philippe, not Felipe. I know. It should be Philippe. I know, right? Like, don't judge me. Judge yourself. There's a million. Go read out loud. Go read out loud. I'll wait. 
Yeah, you messed up. You didn't know. Yeah, yeah. You speak French. What number is cat? Huh? 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 Yeah, that's what I thought. If there's an E on the end of Philip, you know what that makes? Felipe. <laughs> but I'm just calling call him Philip. Okay? That cool with you? It's cool with me. You can't, you know what? I'll give you a second. I'll be quiet like this door to explore. Is it okay with you if I call him Philip? That's great. I know about Philip. About the inn. I was bursting with heartache. Please, come here. Let me hold you. Sophie pulled herself towards the sound of my voice. Her cheeks were slick with fever, her eyes glassy. I could see she was terribly sick. I just wanted to hold her. God, I, I wanted to hold her. She blinked like a frightened doe, hugging the wall. Hugh, she whispered. Sophie, it's me. It's me, darling. I whispered the words to our song. A maiden once met a traveling man. You must give it back now, she muttered again. They say it's theirs. I tried to tell them Hugh will return. He'll find me. They said they'll give Philip back to us, our little son. All we have to do is give them what is theirs. I finally knelt and wrapped my hands around her. My dear wife. I touched her face, brushed the sweat off her hollow cheeks. She was so precious to me, even more so in this misery. They want what belongs to God, she said, and her body rattled with a cough. Please, give it to them. Give them what? I cried. What did she think I had? I did not know if it was a fever or a deeper madness talking, or even if Sophie still recognized she was talking to me. Suddenly, she jerked out of my grasp and scampered back in the shadow. It broke my heart. Her eyes bolted past me wide with fear. I felt as if everything I loved had slipped through my fingers one last time. Then I saw what had driven her away. My heart nearly came to a stop. One of the Duke's rogue knights was standing over me. Chapter 72 I recognized him as one of the thugs who had dragged the mayor into the keep the previous night. His head was covered by a dark hood, and the eyes peering out at him were as dark as sunken caves. He wore his sword belted over a threadbare robe and stood, hands on hips, grinning down on the two of us. Go ahead, have a poke, he shrugged. The whore won't mind, fool. Anyway, she'll be dead in a week. Just be careful you don't get the pox all over your dick. Can you get the pox all over your dick? Like, internal? Like, I don't know. If the pox was spread through sexual contact, like, are we just making stuff up here? I mean, I am. But if I look historically, could you get the pox from... Like, could you get the pox from blah, blah, blah? Like, could you? I'm sure you could because the inner tissues of the body is probably like... Gosh. I guess. I guess. I mean, but... They've also said that these knights and whatnot were out there risking it all on these women who were captive. So I hope they got it. I hope they got it. I hope they died. That's what they get. That's basically what they get. 
I stare, and yes, means exactly what you think it means. That's the bed squeaking. <laughs> Call me Fred Flintstone, you know, bedrock. I stared at his mocking face in the greatest rage I had ever known tightened inside of me. A boiling, uncontrollable force. I reached for an iron poker lying next to me on the floor. In my mind, this grinning lizard represented every cruelty that had been heaped on my wife and child. All the suffering and loss I had witnessed since I first went away. My world had been hurled upside down. With a cry, I rushed at him, a wild exhalation escaping from my lungs. I swung the poker at his head before he could draw a sword. The startled knight threw up an arm to defend himself, and the rod smacked against it with a sickening crack. He yelped and staggered back in pain, one arm hanging at his side. I did not stop. I battered him again and again like some mad beast, every sinew of my body concentrated on driving this piece of metal into his skull. I shoved him against the bars of the cell. I drove my knee into his groin and felt him groan and buckle. I jammed the poker into his neck. Why? I barked into his face. The soldier gagged, his eyes bulging, darting around. Why is she here? A garbled cry emerged from his throat, but in my rage I was not waiting for his answer. I pushed the rod deeper into his neck. A force rose inside of me that I could not stop. I wanted to kill this man. Who are you? I screamed in his face. Where have you come from? Why did you bring her here? Why did you kill my son? My thumbs pressed under his hood as I dug the poker into his throat, squeezing the breath out of him. Bit by bit, the hood fell away from his neck. My eyes were pinned to the frightful mark I saw there. The black Byzantine cross. It shot me back a thousand miles. Suddenly, I was in the Holy Land, revisiting the hordes I had seen there. These bastards were taffers. Chapter 73 I staggered back in shock. Our eyes met, and it was as if some terrible knowledge had been passed between us. The taffer took my surprise as an opening and dug his hands into my face. I pressed the poker into his neck even harder. Then I heard bone crack in his neck. His eyes bulged, a final, desperate resistance. A trickle of blood seeped from his mouth. A moment later, his legs began to give way. When at last I let go, the taffer crumpled onto the filthy prison floor. I stood over him, breathing furiously. My mind hurtled back again. Taffers. I saw them ravaging their captors in their filthy tents. I saw them butchering the Turk who had spared me, then darting like beetles to the crypt, scavenging for spoils. What were they doing here in Bore? What did they want with me? With Sophie? Suddenly, I heard shouts and commotion. The prisoners were clanging the bars in their cell. Now, with what little time I had left, I had to get Sophie out of here. I rummaged over to Taffer's body, frantically searching for a key. I ran my eyes around the keep. Keys must be here somewhere. I turned toward Sophie, eager to let her know that I would help her escape. But the sight of her left me rigid as stone. She was slumped against the bars, her face icy white. Her eyes a moment ago mad with terror seemed calm and far off. I did not see her breathe. Oh God, no. I crawled to her, cupped her face in my hands. 
Sophie, stay with me. You, you can't die. Not now. She blinked, barely more than a tremor. A glimmer of light appeared in her eyes. Hugh? She whispered. Yes, Sophie, it's me. I brushed the sweat off her face. Her skin was cold. I knew you would come back, she said, finally seeming to know who I was. I'm so sorry, Sophie. I'm going to get you out of here. I promise. We, we had a son, she said, and started to cry. I know. I know it all, I wiped her cheek. He was a beautiful boy. Philippe. I looked around, desperately searching for something to help her. The guards will be here, I said. I'm going to find a way out. Hold on. Please, Sophie. Please. I held her hands in mine through the bars. I whispered, I'll take you home. I'll pick sunflowers for you. I'll, I'll sing you a song. Her mouth twitched, and she took a long time to breathe again. But when she did, I also saw her smile. A faint one. Unafraid. I've never forgotten, Hugh. The words fell off her lips one at a time, so softly I could almost kiss them there. A maiden met a wandering man. Yes, I said, and I've been true to you ever since we were children. I love you, Hugh, Sophie whispered. Suddenly, she lurched in my arms. I felt her heart starting to beat out of control. Her eyes bolted wide. I didn't know what to do to help her. She shook terribly up and down. All I could do was hold her tight. I love you, Sophie. I've never loved anyone else. I knew I would find you again. I'm, I'm so sorry I left you alone. Her hand gripped me by the tunic. Hugh, then don't. Don't what, Sophie? A final sigh escaped her lips. Don't give them what they want. Chapter 74 And then, my sweet Sophie died in the prison cell. She passed with a calm, far-off quiet in her eyes. Her mouth hung in the slightest smile, perhaps because I had finally come back as I had promised. Tears ran down my cheeks. I wanted to scream. Why did Sophie have to die? Why her? I grabbed the taffer by the collar of his robe and hurled his dead body against the bars. Why, you bastard? Tell me, what does she mean? Why did you kill my son? Why are innocent people dying? Then I sank down with my head in my hands. I wanted to take Sophie home. That's, that's all I could think of, to bury her with her son. I owed her that. But how? The dead taffer was slumped before me. Any moment the guards would come, I couldn't even open her cell. The truth hit me. Sophie was gone. There was nothing I could do for her now, except maybe one thing. Don't give them what they want. Whatever that could be. I ran and found a ragged cloth and came back and laid a corner of it under Sophie's head. I covered her body with the rest, as if she were in our bed at home, though I knew nothing could disturb her now. I took one last loving look at Sophie, the person who had been my everything since we were ten. 
I'll come back for you, I promised. I'll take you home. Then I staggered down the stone stairs and past the indifferent guards. I ran back towards my room through the castle's maze of darkened halls. My body shook with incomprehension. What had she been doing here? It wasn't a dream. My wife was dead. Rotted like some diseased dog. Here in Bore. The shock tore at my brain. I shouldn't have left her. Part of me wanted to go back, to pick her up, take her home, but there was nothing I could do. Then, a new thought crawled through the haze of my brain. Something I had to do. I had to right this wrong. I finally knew who was behind it. The blame wasn't at Triel, but here. Anne. In a rage, I raced back towards the royal living quarters. No alarm had been sounded. Guards smirked at me along the way. A laughable fool who had perhaps tipped the jug too many times, staggering home to sleep it off. Yet, all the while, one thought rang in my mind. Anne knew. I bounded up the stairs towards her living quarters. Two guards stood watching the landing. They looked at each other. What harm could I do? I was a lady's fool. They let me pass just as they always had before. Down the hall were the Lord and Lady's living quarters. A new guard stepped into my way. A taffer. Whoa, fool, you are not permitted, he barked. I didn't stop to reason. I spotted a gleaming halberd hanging on the wall over a coat of arms. I grabbed the axe from his anchor and ran at the startled guard, taking him by surprise. I swung with all my might, the blade catching him at the base of his neck. He let out a garbled groan, his side nearly splitting away from his body like a side of beef. He toppled to the floor, dead. Now I had killed one of Anne's own guards, one of her taffers. Chapter 75 Shouts rang out from behind me, deep male voices echoing in alarm. I stormed ahead like some madman. Where was she? Anne! I had one single-minded desire, to hear the truth from her lips, even if I had to die for it. Two guards from the stairs ran my way, their swords raised. I forced myself through a set of heavy doors and bolted them shut behind me. I ran deeper into the royal chambers. I had never been in here before. I knew I would die here. Any moment, I expected a blade to tear into my neck, to see my own blood spilling out onto the floor. No matter. All that was important to me was to ask my lady, why? I stormed deeper into her quarters, the bedroom, an engraved wooden table with a wash basin, tapestries hung on the wall, a vast draped oak bed larger than I had ever seen before. But empty. No one was there. God damn you, I shouted in frustration. Why my family? Why us? Someone tell me. I stood there not knowing what to do next. I saw myself in my fool's costume, blood spattered on my face. Why? 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 Suddenly, a door opened beside me. I held my knife, expecting to face Anne or one of her taffer guards. But it was neither. For a moment, I felt as if I were back on the road to Triel, blinking out of the haze, and all the things that had happened since Norcross, St. Cecile, Sophie's death were just figments of a dream, terrors that could be washed away with a soft word. 
I stared at Emily's face. She gasped. Her eyes fastened on my blood-spattered clothes. My God, what has happened to you? Before we go further, this is me. I think we should have a real talk about me and the word gasped. Everybody has trouble saying a word, and even if they know the word, they can't say it. And me is gasped. So if I say gasped wrong, you're going to leave me alone. Okay? Just leave me alone. Because there's probably words you can't say. And it's not gasped either. It's something like ketchup or kitchen. Some of y'all say stuff like, I'm going to itch the, the itch on my back. What does that mean? So if I can't say gasped, y'all are going to leave me alone, okay? I'm gasping. I can say gasping, but I can't say gasped. Maybe I'm getting better at it. Who knows? Who knew? Chapter 76. Sophie's dead, I whispered. She stared at me, transfixed. Then she moved forward to support me. What has happened? Tell me. The Duke's men have had her all along, Emily. Sophie has been here. Not in Triel with my enemies, but here in the tower among my friends. This cannot be. It can, Emily. It is the truth. I lean myself back against the wall. There are no more games to play. No more pretext. It ends now. Shouts and pounding sound at the door I had bolted. What a wretched sight I must have made. My clothes torn, slick with blood, the look of madness in my eyes. Anne, I muttered. I told you, she's behind it all. I have to find out why she allowed these men to destroy my family. Stephen's guard. I chortled almost a laugh. These are not knights, Emily. They are scavengers from the Holy Land, the lowest form of butcher. Even the Turks ran in fear of them. They hunt for relics, spoils. That's why the two knights were murdered. But my family, we had nothing. The commotion outside the door grew louder. Anne's men were trying to smash it in. Emily gripped my arm. It doesn't matter now. Anne's not in the castle. She's gone to meet her husband at Lothanay. Come with me. It is too late. The time for kindness is finished. There's nothing left for me now but to face her men. She put her face inches from my own. I could feel Emily's breath on my cheek. Whatever you've done, if Anne is behind this, I will do everything to see justice is given you. But you must come. I can't help you if you're dead. Emily hurried me out the room, down a narrow corridor in the royal quarters. She pushed me into a small chamber and quickly barred the door. I could see she was afraid, and it touched me deeply. Emily searched through a drawer and found a heavy brown cloak, which upon closer inspection proved to be the robe of a monk. Here. I thought at some point you might need it to gain access to the tower. Put it on. I stared at it, confused, amazed that Emily did this for me. Go now. They will search every room. Send me word through Norbert. You have friends here. You must believe it. A moment later, I was no longer a jester, but a monk. The hood pulled over my head. Your new pretext. Emily smiled bravely. I took a deep breath. I fear this one will be a greater trick than before. Then let me add to it, Emily said. She pulled me close by the collar and, to my surprise, pressed a quick, hard kiss upon my lips. My blood came to a halt. 
the softness of her lips, the boldness of her touch. I felt my knees lock, the breath massed inside my chest. In truth, I didn't know what to feel at that moment. My head spun. She looked into my eyes. I know your pain is deep. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. <laughs> so if you got that, you're one of two things. One, you're either a Trekkie, which, okay. Or two, you listen to the Above the Rim soundtrack, which, okay. Either way it goes, I mess with you. Let me know which one it is. I'm curious, but I'm I, either way it goes, you're good with me. I know every part of you cries out to revenge your wife and child, but common or noble, there's a specialness within you. I saw it the first time I looked into your eyes, and I've never seen it waver since. We'll find a way to right these wrongs. Now go. There was a small window above her bed. Below, it was only a short jump to the courtyard. From there, the gardens. I hoisted myself up and pushed through a leg. I looked out and saw the darkened shadows of roofs in the distance. I looked back into Emily's face. By what luck, lady, have I earned you as a friend? By leaving, right now, this instant. Yeah, Hugh, you act like this your first time jumping out of a woman's window. Like... Come on, man. Even I've jumped out of a few windows. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? There was one where I jumped out the window and I jumped too high because I had just gotten a third base. And um, jumped out the window and the girl didn't tell me that directly above her window was one of those portable air conditioning units. So I banged my head on top of it or on the bottom of it like, like Mario trying to break a block. And I saw stars, but I did not feel invincible. I smiled and lifted myself through a narrow window. I turned. I hope in all the world to see you again. There was a pounding at her door. I waved at Emily, then dropped from the window. You will, Hugh DeLuke, I heard her say from above. If you hope that, you will. Chapter 77. The afternoon sun bathed the field. Anne stood outside her tent near late the nay. At her sides, two formations of Boray's infantry bearing the Duke's crest stood in even rows. Banners of green and gold flapped in the breeze. A shiver of dread went through Anne. She had brooded over this moment for weeks now, her husband's return. There were times that she actually prayed he would be lost in the war. She had been married to him since she was 16, almost half her life. She had been betrothed as a sign of alliance between her family's duchy, Normandy, and Stephen's father. But if this union had fostered trust and commerce between the two duchies, it had created only isolation for her. Once she bore him his son, Stephen forgot her, coming only when he tired of his horse from town. When she resisted, she felt the stab of his powerful fingers on her neck or the scrape of the back of his hand. Though she kept up the appearances of the court and family that were her duty, she felt only contempt for Stephen, trapped as she was in the prison women were confined to, even duchesses and queens. She felt old, so much older than her years. The time when he was away had almost freed her, but now, knowing he was near, she felt the fears return. Up ahead, a formation of about twenty knights appeared over a knoll, traveling slowly, 
their war-worn helmets barely glinting in the sun. Look, my lady, Bertrand Maras, the Duke's charlatan, pointed. There they are. The Duke returns. A cheer rose from the men. So he's back. Anne sighed, pretending to smile. Fattened, she was sure, on the meat of greed and glory he had feasted on in the crusade. Anne nodded, and the trumpeters broke into flourish, announcing the arrival of the Duke. A rider broke away from the pack and galloped towards them. Anne felt her stomach stiffen in disgust. God's grace to Stephen, the Shatlian shouted. Duke of Bore, he has returned. Chapter 78 The soldiers stood at stiff attention, swords and lances raised in salute. The Duke galloped into their midst. He raised his arm to salute them, then grinned triumphantly at Bertrand and Marcel Garnier, his seneschal, the steward of his estate. Almost as an afterthought, he turned to Anne. Stephen then jumped off his mount. His hair had grown long and wild since she had seen him last, like a goth's. His cheeks were hard-edged and gaunt, yet he still carried that narrow glint in his eye. As was his duty, he came up to her. It had been almost two years. Welcome, my husband, Anne stepped forward. To God's grace that he brought you safely home. To God's grace, Stephen said with a smile, that you have shined like such a beacon as to guide me back. He kissed her on both cheeks, but the embrace was empty and without warmth. I have missed you, Anne, he said, in the way a man might exult in seeing the health of his favorite steed. I have counted the days as well, she replied coldly. Welcome, my lord, Stephen's advisors rushed forth. Bertrand, Marcel, he held out his arms. I trust the reason you have come all the way to greet me is not that we have misplaced our beautiful city. I assure you, your beautiful city still stands, the Chatelain grinned, stronger than ever. And the treasury even more filled than when you left, promised the Seneschal. All this later, Stephen waved a hand. We've been riding nonstop since we docked. My ass feels like it's been kicked all the way from too long. Tend to my men. We are all as hungry as beggars. And I, he mooned his eyes at Anne, I must attend to my lovely wife. Come, husband, Anne said, trying to seem teasing before his men. I will try and kick it towards Paris so as to even it out. All around them laughed. Anne led him to their large tent draped in gold and green silk. Once inside, Stephen's loving look disappeared. You perform well, my wife. It was no performance. I'm glad for your return, for your son's sake, and if it has brought you back a gentler man. War rarely has that effect, Stephen answered. He sat on a stool and removed his cloak. Come here. Help with these boots. I will show you just what a petting pup I've become. His hair fell over his tunic, greasy and grayed. His face was sharp and filthy from the road. He smelled like a boar. You look like the wars have left you no worse for wear, Anne remarked. And you, Anne, Stephen said, reaching out to pull her down to him. You look like a dream from which I am not yet willing to awaken. Then awaken now. She pulled herself away. It was her duty to tend to him, remove his boots, rinse out the damp cloth around his neck. But there was no way in hell she would let him touch her. I have not sat alone for two years to be mounted by a pig. So hand me the bowl and I'll wash then, Stephen grinned. 
I'll make myself as fresh as a dough. I did not mean your stench, she said. Stephen still smiled at her. He slowly removed his gloves. A servant stepped in, carrying a bowl of fruit. He placed it on the bench and then, feeling a stiffness in the air, hurried out. I have seen your new interests, Anne said derisively. The dark troops you have sent from the Holy Land. Your noble men of the Black Cross who kill and slaughter women and children like hers. Innocents and nobles alike. Your governing has reached a new low, Stephen. He got up, slowly sauntered over to her. Her skin felt like an insect was crawling up her back. He walked around her as if he were inspecting a steed. She did not look at him. Then Anne felt his hands caress her neck, icy and loveless. She felt his lips close to her. I may be your wife, she said, turning away. And for that, Stephen, I will tend to your health and welfare for the sake of my son. I will stand for you, as is my duty, in our court. But no, husband, you will not touch me ever again. Not in my weakest moment or in your most urgent need. Your hands shall never soil me again. Stephen grinned and nodded as if impressed. He stroked her cheek and she pulled away, trembling. How long, lovely Anne, have you been working on that little speech? Before she even knew what was happening, he tightened his caressing grip on the nape of her neck. Pain flashed through her. Slowly, he increased the pressure, all the while fondly smiling at her. The air shot out of her lungs. She tried to cry out, but to no avail. No one would come. Her cries would be misunderstood as pleasure. Her pulse echoed like a drum in her ears. Stephen pushed her down to the ground. He followed, all the while pinning his thumb and forefinger into her neck and forcing her thighs apart with just the power of his legs. He tried to kiss her, but Anne twisted her head in the other direction, leaving his vile slobber all over her neck. Then he pressed himself against her rump. She felt him erect and hideous, the detestable hardness she had grown to loathe. Come, he whispered, my bold, headstrong Anne. After all this time, would you deny me what I want? She tried to pull herself away, but his grip was too strong. He slithered up the length of her spine and yanked her underdress down, about to force himself in. Anne swallowed back an urge to vomit. No, this cannot be happening. Her heart beat in panic. I swore, not again. But just as quickly, he pulled off of her, grunting back a laugh, leaving her trembling. He pushed his wet mouth close to her face. Do not misunderstand me, wife, he hissed in her ear. I do not mean I desire your cunt. I meant the relic. I hate that word. I do. And reading these books, trust me, I've heard worse. Wound, I think, is undefeated. I think that'll never be surpassed. Wound. But cunt, I mean, if it's used the way the, Brit the British folks use it, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. They're, they're making fun of people. Calling people a right and proper cunt. But the way that they say it in these books, it's just, it just sounds like a nasty word. Like, it's just, ugh. It sounds like moist. I don't know. It's a thing. Part 4. Treasure. Chapter 79. The hulking man in the sheepskin overvest pounded in the fence post with the well-timed strokes of his heavy mallet. 
I crept from the woods, still in the torn remains of my jester's garb, carrying Emily's cloak. I had clung to the forest for a week now, hungry, avoiding pursuit. I had nothing, not a denier or a possession. You'll never mend a fence by lazing away like a fat cow, I said boldly. The burly man put down his mallet and arched his thick, bushy eyebrows. He stepped forward to the challenge. Look what's crawled out of the woods, some scrawny squirrel in a fairy's costume. You look like you wouldn't know a day's work if it jumped out and strummed your dick. I could say the same for you, Odo, if it wasn't always in your hand. The big smith eyed me closely. Do I know you, Maltworm? Aye, I answered. Unless, since I've seen you last, your brains have grown as soft as your gut. Hugh? The smith exclaimed. We embraced. Odo lifted me high off the ground. He shook his head in astonishment. We heard you were dead, Hugh. Then in Triel, wearing the costume of a fool. Then word that you were in Boray. That you killed that prick Norcross. Which of these are true? All true, Odo. Except for rumors of my demise. Look at me, old friend. You killed the Duke Shatlian? I took a breath and smiled, like a little brother embarrassed by praise. I did. <laughs> I knew you'd outfox them. The smith laughed. I have much to tell, Odo, and much to regret, I feel. We too, Hugh. Come, sit down. All I can offer you is this rickety fence. Not as fine as Baldwin's cushions, we leaned against it. Odo shook his head. Last we saw you, you ran into the woods like a devil, chasing the ghost of your wife. She was no ghost, Odo. I knew that she lived. And she did. Odo's eyes widened. Sophie lives? I found her. In a cell in Boré. Son of a bitch, the smith grunted. His eyes lit up, delighted. Then he searched mine, serious. Yet, I see you've crawled back out of the woods alone. I bowed my head. I found her, Odo, but only long enough for her to die in my arms. They held her as a hostage, thinking that we had something there, something of great value. I've come back to tell her brother, Matthew, of her fate. Odo shook his head. I'm sorry, Hugh. That won't be possible. Why? What's happened, Odo? Baldwin's men were here again. For you. They said you were a murderer and a coward. They, they said you ran from the crusade and killed the Lord Shatlian. Then they ransacked the village. They said any who harbored you would be tried on pain of death. A few of us stood up. A grim, ugly stench sent a panic through my stomach. What is that stench, Odo? Matthew was one who stood up for you, the smith went on. He said you had been wronged, that the Shatlian had burned your house and child and taken your wife. And if Norcross was dead, it was justly deserved for what he had done. He showed them the end, which he was starting to rebuild. These men were horrible, Hugh. They hung Matthew up. Then they stretched him, his neck in a noose and his legs tied to their mounts. They whipped the horses until his body split in two. No. A pain shot through my chest. Another weight seemed to crush my heart. Poor Matthew. Why him? Now another was dead because of me. 
The nightmare had to end. I raised my head. A terrible fear pulsed up in my gut. You did not answer me. What is that smell? Otto shook his head. They burned the town, Hugh. Chapter 80 I walked with Odo into the desolate village, the place that only two years before I had called my home. All around, fields, cottages, and grain holds were no more than mounds of cinder and stone. Dwellings were either caved in and reduced to rubble, or in some beginning stage of being rebuilt. We passed the mill, once the finest structure in town, its majestic will now a heap of ruin in the stream. People put down their hammers, stopped chopping wood. A group of children shouted and pointed, Look, it's Hugh! He's come back! It's Hugh! Everyone looked up in disbelief. People rushed up to me. Is it you, Hugh? Have you truly come back? A kind of procession picked up around me. What a sight I must have been. In a ragged, checkered tunic, my torn green hose. I marched through the cluttered street directly to the square. My last time here, I had been in such a haze, having found out what had happened to my wife and son. Now everything was new, unreal, and so very sad. A clamor built up. Some crying, glory to God, it's Hugh, he's back, while others spat in my path. Go away, Hugh, you're the devil, look at what you've done. Me personally, I'm shocked that people aren't already mad at him. Like the his friends, like if I remember correctly, George's, his, his son was murdered. His daughter was sexually assaulted, like in front of him. And, and Hugh was talking about his wife and his child to George's, like he forgot about what happened to his whole family. I'm sure there's others, but this town has suffered because of him. I, I don't know. I would have been like, dude, you got to stop coming here. Like, meet us in the forest or something. Send a pigeon, a canary. I don't I don't know what they sent back in the day. It definitely wasn't a text message. I don't even know if they could write back then. By the time I reached the square, maybe 70 people, most everyone in town, had formed a ring around me. I gazed at our inn. Two new walls of rough logs had been erected, supported by columns of stone. Matthew had been rebuilding it, better and sturdier than it was before. A flood of anger rushed through me. God damn them! I was the one who killed Norcross. I was the one who infiltrated the court. What right did I have to take vengeance out on this town? A rush of tears welled in my eyes. They streamed down my cheeks. I began to weep, weeping the way I hadn't done since I was a small child. God damn damn you Baldwin and god damn me for my stupid pride I fell to my knees my wife my son Matthew everything was ruined so many had died the ring of townspeople stood there and let me weep then I felt a hand on my shoulder I choked back sobs and looked up it was father Leo I had never paid much heed to him with his little domed head and his sermons. Now I prayed he would not remove his hand, for it was all that kept me from keeling over in a ball of shame and grief. The priest lovingly squeezed my shoulder. This is Baldwin's doing, Hugh, not yours. Aye, it is Baldwin's work, someone shouted from the crowd. Hugh meant us no harm. 
It's not his fault. We pay our shares and this is how the bastard repays us, a woman wailed. You must go, another said. He killed Norcross. He'll cause us all to burn. Yes, he did kill Norcross, echoed another. God's praise to him. Who among us has stood up like that? Voices rose, the shouting built into a clamor, some for me, some against. A few, including Odo and the priest, begged for reason while others started throwing pebbles and stones at me. Have pity on us, Hugh, someone wailed. Please go before the knights return. In the midst of the clamor, a woman's voice shouted above the din. Everyone turned and grew quiet. It was Marie, the miller's wife. I remember her kind face. Her and Sophie were best friends. They had been to the well together the day her son was drowned. We've lost more than any of you, she scanned the crowd. Two sons, one to Baldwin, one to the war, plus our mill. But Hugh has suffered more than we have. You point your scorn at him because we're all too frightened to point it towards the one who deserves it. It is Baldwin who deserves our rage, not Hugh. Yeah, the same way it's the chefs that deserve your rage when your food comes out late, not the server. Like, it's not the server's fault. I mean, unless the server literally forgot to put your order in, which happens a lot of times. And you'll know that they forgot to put your order in when they don't look over at you anymore. And then all of a sudden you see them run into the kitchen and you hear them say, fire this. People laugh at them because ain't nobody firing nothing. But other than that, more often than not, you should not get mad at the, the, the server for the chef taking forever. Unless, of course, the server never took your food out from underneath those hot plate fire dish things. And so the um, food is all dried out and stuff. That's on the server. All the servers. Because somebody could have brought your food out. But other than that, blame the manager. Like, seriously. Um, but don't blame the way my, my, my old mother-in-law used to blame them, which was to eat all of her food except for a bite and then be like, this was dry. Real woman of genius. It was Hugh who killed Norcross and avenged my son. He helped me back to my feet and put out his hand. I'm grateful you're back, Hugh. And I, said Odo, his voice booming. I'm sick of quaking every time I hear horsemen come near town. You're right. Martin the tailor hung his head. It is our own liege who is responsible, not Hugh. But what can we do? We're pledged to him. It hit me there, in that moment, as I observed my neighbor's helplessness and fear. I knew what we must do. Then break the pledge, I said. There was a moment of stunned silence. Break the pledge, the tailor gasped. Get off me. Like, leave me alone. Can't even say something like recalcitrant. Get, get off my jock. People turned to one another and shook their heads, as if my words were a sign that I was mad. If we break the pledge, Baldwin will come back. This time, it won't just be our houses that he burns. Spell banana. I dare you. You put too many ends on it. The next time, friends, we'll be ready for him, I said, turning to catch every eye. A wary silence filled the square. These people looked at me as if the words I uttered were heresy that damned us all. I knew that these words and this idea could set us free. I stared out at them and shouted, 
break the pledge. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Leave a review on Spotify. It takes like eight seconds. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to everybody who has. Um, you can leave a review on the Good Pods app. And you can leave a review on Podchaser. Um... You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or on buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank you again for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by that kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know about now, did you